0: Hello and welcome. This is the Fundamental Analysis Show on Chit Chat Money, and we are talking one of our favorite companies, one that we probably talk about too much, one of the few, and it is Spotify. Uh, This was actually the first show we ever did, and it was me solo. Really bad, uh, but it was kind of the trial run, and you know, trial by fire, trial and error, and we're going to try to improve on it with this show. It's been over a year since the last time, and there's been a lot of news on Spotify. The financials have changed a bit. Uh, the management's still there, but you know they've done the big podcast initiatives. Uh, so I'll let Ryan get into Spotify what they do. A lot of people know the company, and then the history of the stock.
1: Yeah, and before I get into what they do, full disclosure, this is my second or third largest holding, and I believe it's one of your either your first or second as well.
0: Yes. Yep. Yep. Well, it could be the largest now since the stock's done pretty well the last week or so, but yeah, it's up there. So So, full disclosure.
1: You'll definitely hear a little hint of bias in there, but uh, if you
0: don't know what they do,
1: Spotify is a digital music podcast and video streaming service that offers access to a massive library of content from all around the world. So there's two revenue drivers for the business. There's the ad-free subscription service or their premium service, which is and there's different pricing plans, which I'll get into for that. And then there's the ad supported free version. Um, and the way I kind of think about that is, it's like an intro period. It's okay. If you're religious at all, the ad free, the, or the ad supported version is like purgatory. You're just waiting to go to heaven with the premium subscription.
0: That's a good analogy. Yeah. And for reference, they get 46% conversion from the free to the premium. So it's like the customer acquisition tool. Right. And so
1: 92% of the revenue comes from the subscription. So it's basically all from the subscriptions. And like I said, that's that ad support is basically that purgatory or that introduction period. Uh, they are the leader in terms of paying users across the world. Um, and I think they have double the second most um, if I'm not mistaken. And then as an individual in the U.S., i S I'm not sure if it's the same for everywhere. They have three plans that you, that I can choose from. And so each offers the first three months for free. So for $9.99 $9. a month, there's the individual plan. For $14.99 a month, there's the family plan, which is up to six accounts. And for $4.99 a month, there's the student version, which also comes with Hulu and Showtime.
0: Mm-hmm. And then it just varies for the prices across the world in different currencies. And then in a few markets, they're introducing a couple's one, which is two. And I think it's a little more than the single. So it's like 12 bucks a month or depending on what currency you have, it could be more or less. And then like in India, it costs a lot less in dollars just because that market, um, it's a lot less, you know. People have less money, I guess, is the the most blunt way to put it over there.
1: And when you're entering a market… Uh, especially a new market, you definitely don't have as much pricing power, so you're going to start at sort of a low price point, which is contributing to the lower ARPU number, which we'll talk about. But I'll get into the history. The idea first came to Daniel Eck in 2002 when the filing sh- file sharing services like Napster and Kazaa were enabling pirated music, and Daniel Eck said – You can never legislate away from piracy. Laws can help, but it doesn't take away the problem. The only way to solve it was to build something that was better and compensate the music industry, which is what he did. In 2006, he sold his ad tech startup. I think he was 23 years old at the time, which netted him a fair amount of money, and that allowed him to develop Spotify with Martin Lorenzen uh, in Stockholm, Sweden. It took two years to make the deals with the record companies and the app was launched in 2008. By 2011 they had a million users and then from that point they've obviously grown and grown and they IPO'd in April of 2018. I read somewhere that Sean Parker, who I believe came up with Napster and he was one of the early investors in Facebook, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, um, or he was a part of it, whatever, yeah. Apparently called Daniel Eck and said, this is exactly what I wanted to build. You hit it. You hit the nail on the head. So um, I mm. guess there's, there's a validation from Sean Parker. Um, but yeah, you want to get into the valuation numbers?
0: Sure, and these will be slightly dated, so I think there will be a day of trading uh, before this comes out on Sunday. So just reference that the stock's been moving a lot up and down, uh, so the numbers might be a little different. Market cap right now is thirty five point six billion. Ticker is SPOT, so spot, and the price is one hundred ninety two dollars and seventy four cents. EV to sales of four point three seven. EV to free cash flow of one hundred twenty six, which is very high. They're just hitting break even on the free cash flow number, so I don't think that is really something. You'd want to value them on uh, just because they're right around break-even. Things can move really quickly up and down on those free cash flow margins. Less than 1% stock-based compensation dilution uh, based on the last quarterly revenue probably will be higher in other quarters because, um, well, I don't know like what... I mean, it just will be just because they're a large company. And I think that was just a one-time thing. They also have no dividend. Margin adjusted price to sales is eighty based on low gross margins and last quarter was not the best sales growth. Typically they have been growing their sales at about thirty percent. Last quarter was twenty two percent, if I'm getting that right. Yeah, you are Negative. That, had,
1: that had to do with the strong dollar or the currency exchange effects. Right um, a lot of companies this past quarter have been dealing with that, and I think it's just because of the like like we said, the currency exchange in terms of mm-hmm. There was a huge swings in prices um, due to coronavirus, I believe, and the economies that were impacted. So, uh,
0: Yeah, the dollar was strong, so that kind of hurt them. Um, they have negative working capital, just a little bit, so it's almost close to net zero working capital. That is mainly due to high accrued expenses, which are likely due to their contract liabilities with the labels, which I think a lot of people know about. They have to pay a ton of their revenue out to the labels, which is why they get, even though they're high-growing tech stock or you know, that's probably what you define them as. They have a lower price to sales than a lot of other people just because their gross margins are lower. They have not much long-term debt except about $600 million in lease liabilities. So the balance sheet is pretty clean. Not many liabilities down the road outside of those label liabilities that they're going to have to pay um, either every year, every quarter, whatever those payment structures are.
1: Yeah, I'll dig into the earnings. Their total monthly active users were 286 million this quarter, up 31% year over year. And that 30% number is usually steady. They tend to have 30% user growth. And so ad supported was 163 million. That makes up more than their premium subscribers, which was 130 million. And those two sort of switch in terms of which is growing faster because you start to get that transition, if I'm not mistaken, right?
0: Yeah, so think of it, if the long-term trend holds, uh, if say, right now, uh, monthly active users that are free are growing 32%, you should expect in a year uh, that premium users should be growing at a similar rate, uh, if the long-term trends of the customer acquisition holds, Um, and that's been going on for the last like six years, so I would think it should continue for the time being.
1: And they had $2 billion in first quarter revenue up 22% year over year. I had to swap them out it was euros to dollars so they report in euros i had to switch it so maybe double check me on a lot of these but two billion in first quarter revenue up 22 percent year over year gross margins were 25 and a half percent versus 24.7 percent last year their first quarter operating loss was 18.5 million dollars and arpu was four dollars and 82 cents down six percent year over year like i said there's those cheaper entry periods for new users Free cash flow was negative 23 million for the quarter. They typically have positive free cash flow. And they said that they saw this coming. This was their first operating cash outflow in nine quarters. And apparently it was due to timing shifts in certain payments to licensors. Um, And I'm not totally, uh, I don't totally understand that entire process and how much they, paid versus what they were expecting to pay. Um, They said it was better than they expected, though. They finished the quarter with roughly $2 billion in cash, cash equivalents, restricted cash, and short-term investments.
0: All right, next up is digging trenches, which is the moat rating. So what do you think for Spotify?
1: So this is probably where you're going to see that shareholder bias come out. Um, I'm going to go with a two maybe higher. Um, I think they're starting to obviously in terms of users, they, so what was it? 283 million overall users or something like that. And then 130 million paying as of the last reported, Apple was the second, they had 60 million subscribers. So they're crushing it in terms of user count. They have a robust platform. There's a lot of retention. I believe there was a number that said, and you might want to double check this for me, but there was a number that said when users walk away within like the first three months, 70% come Mm -hmm. back or something like that. So I think that's a sign of that sort of platform validation right there. Um, I I think it's strong. I'm going to go to.
0: Yeah, I think it's strong as well. The fact that they've been able to compete, grow at a faster rate and have higher usage rates than Apple, YouTube, Amazon, which are, very uh, capital, whatever you'd call it. They have a lot of money. All three of those companies have insane amounts of money. Spotify is able to compete with them strongly. I think they've built that moat. At least personally, I'm not leaving Spotify as a user. I don't think a lot of people are HR. So I think that's just really strong. You're going to retain someone like that, especially with the discovery tools. You're built your own playlist. You have everything locked in on there. The switching costs, while not very high to cancel your account, Everything's embedded, and the, the Spotify tools have built those uh, playlists for you. They they know how your music tastes and podcast tastes are.
1: Another source of sort of business validation is that basically everything they do gets copied by the right.
0: Yes, yes, yes. I
1: don't know. Definitely. I don't know if that offers a moat necessarily, but if all these other cat, all these other companies are playing catch up. It's usually a good sign for the. Label.
0: Yeah, I, that's not. That I wouldn't. Yeah, that's not part of the moat. I just think that's a positive. All right, further reading. What are you looking at? Well, I hope it's not much because I follow this company so closely. So I think I understand most of the business. But I, however, I want to try and figure out their long-term music plans because it is a little confusing what their roadmap is. They did start to sign artists directly, so we thought they were trying to break away from the labels, and that was in late 2018. But they backed away from that. Now they're trying the promotional tools with the two-sided marketplace. We'll see how that goes. Uh, but it seems like music—they're gonna, you know, keep the labels for a while, not try to, you know, keep them happy at least for the next few years here. But after that, who knows? Just keep a watch on on that.
1: Yeah, and so that's sort of my further reading is the music industry broadly because, and it's be. Spotify has almost become a pretty polarizing stock because people look at the gross margins and they say the labels control that business. And so I'm, I'm curious, how easy is it for artists to bypass the labels? Do artists want to bypass the labels? If uh, Spotify works on this two-sided platform, is it better for artists to just skip the labels overall? And the other thing is, are we going to start to see price gouging possibly from those labels because they're worried that all right, Spotify is going to take a lot of the artists, you know, and it's instead of a like win-win situation, it becomes sort of a competition between the two.
0: Yeah. I would argue that the labels are already price gouging them, uh, taking, you know, whatever, 60% of the revenue is and not really doing much of the work. Spotify does a lot of the work as well as the artist. I would argue that. Yeah, but that that is the big downside with Spotify, and it's something that you need to keep an eye on because that relationship is important, but it's also something that you would hope they can renegotiate to better terms down the line.
1: Right. Uh, future growth opportunities, what are you looking at?
0: So the big future growth opportunities, as you probably have heard, they acquired the Joe Rogan podcast for three years for I think $100 million or you know, varying depending on incentives and how much demand he gets. But I would say that their future growth opportunity is expanding the definition of a podcast to basically just on-demand spoken word. Examples that can include video-recorded embedded shows. Example, they're launching that with the Joe Rogan Experience, which, again, is the number one show in the world. They also have the Harry Potter thing they're doing, where it's basically reading chapters of the book and putting them in a podcast, which I think is very interesting. They could also launch basically audiobooks in podcast format, which I think is kind of something that's merging together closer all the time. They could also sell audiobooks, but I don't think they're going to do that. And you can also allow people to record live shows through Spotify. Some shows would probably be for that. Um, It would help because they also own Anchor. And maybe if Anchor got better recording tools, this could really work. But you could have, if you record, say, our show... Straight on Spotify and we didn't want to edit it at all. We're just like, all right, we're gonna do this one live It's okay if there's a couple mistakes or something like that It gets recorded live you could watch it or listen to it live and then it becomes an embedded downloadable show or streamable show Right after it airs.
1: Yeah, I'm also curious on sort of the audiobook industry you don't want to end up having to sell individual audiobooks i don't think that's a favorable business but maybe if they're hiring authors or making like exclusive books buying out rights to books um and adding audiobooks to the platform that might be an interesting idea um, yeah cuz i
0: think personally i would want to listen to an ad supported audiobook
1: Yeah, and then um, my future growth opportunity is just owning the podcast production side. So that does not mean content, uh, like the content side, so not excluding Joe Rogan. So I'm talking about the Anchor acquisition that they already made. So that was a big boost in that. And 60% of the podcasts on Spotify are powered by Anchor and 70% of the new ones are powered by Anchor. So owning and enhancing the production side is the audio equivalent of vertically integrating your supply chain, because I mean, if that's the future of the business, that that's what's going to help the gross margins. You want to own that supply chain. So I think there's a few ways that they can enhance Anchor, and maybe this is me just griping as someone who uses Anchor. Uh, one, first of all, I'm not griping because I
0: like the it's, service. It's good. It yeah, it's, it. a, it's a good service. They have improved it, um, but I think it could be better.
1: Right. So the first step to doing that, I'd say is to acquire or build a competitive recording product like audacity and embed it into the anchor recording feature. Cause you can record on anchor, but no one really does that. They just upload the audio files, probably from audacity or some sort of recording uh, product like that. Um, the second one would be dual sided advertising on anchor. So letting a podcast like us advertise on other podcasts, I think All that extra functionality, if you add that, is going to gain more podcasts coming to Anchor and obviously more podcasts equals more advertisers. And that's what a lot of people come to Anchor for is those advertisements. So, yeah, just
0: enhancing the production side. Yeah, definitely. All right, highlights and lowlights to end it. Okay, my highlights, there's a Scott Galloway quote, and you've
1: said this before, they own the most expensive real estate in the world, and that is the bottom bar on the home iPhone home screen. Um, and so that's kind of where everything stems from is that audience and owning that real estate, real estate, their entire music catalog has essentially been a long-winded customer acquisition cost. And we're starting to see that play out. Hopefully it's not in the future. It doesn't have to be, um, but it hasn't been a profitable business to just be an audio distributor or sorry, music distributor. Um, now Daniel Eck, who is in and of himself a highlight for me, is building out all the ne- necessary functionality to essentially own audio and spoken word. If you can get it all, it, there's, I think he posed a question on a podcast or something. It was, why, is the, why are the eyes 10 times more important than the ears or 10 times more valuable? And I don't think they are. I spend probably as much, if not more of my time consuming content through my ears than watching like Netflix. So I think the ears are as valuable. And right now, if you're comparing, let's say you compare like Netflix to Spotify, Netflix is priced like they're far more valuable. I think the ears have a long, long way to grow in that sense. But to the, neg- to the downfalls of the business, it's a really competitive space. Big tech does have their hands all over the audio industry. And while it's existential for, and, and Brett Bivens had quoted that, it's existential for Spotify to thrive. It's not for these big tech companies, but they have unlimited capital to basically throw at this. Like, yeah.
0: And then on the flip side, though, you could argue that the products just aren't as good.
1: You could, you could, um, but it's almost like if they're, if they want to take down Spotify, I guess they, they have unlimited bullets. They, I mean, they can just keep throwing everything at it knowing full well, their product might not do it, but they could make pricing. That's going to lose them a shit ton of money and maybe compete with Spotify that way.
0: Yeah, they could, but the argument that's argument's been around for what, since like 2017, 2018 has that's, not come to fruition whatsoever. Uh, so I think it, While it is a good thing to consider, I think it's almost a dead argument at this point. Yeah. What about you? Uh, Management's a highlight for me. I think Eck is really good. He understands the game they're playing. Podcast ambitions are strong. I think that is a larger addressable market than people think. It's only a billion dollar industry right now, but it is definitely going to absorb all the on-demand radio. Or sorry, it's going to absorb all the radio industry, which is easily a 20 billion dollar uh, market and that 's all going to come to on demand or the majority of it is their ability to grow faster than their competitors within while competing with big tech I think is also strong. it shows that they are a great company, and that they are a company that is f- solely focusing on audio so again, you said that as well well that 's for me though, tough margins right now, so they 're not going to be very profitable, but the, also the labels are going to gouge them for the next few years, at least on the music side. Hopefully, they can get leverage over the labels with scale and the ability to go into podcast. If that becomes, say, a quarter of their revenue, then they can renegotiate the deals with better terms. But you know, you've already said the thing about the big tech. I mean, everyone has those three concerns: labels, gross margins, big tech. Those are things to consider. Uh, but I think, I mean, we'll get into the ratings here, but I think the the highlights really outweigh the lowlights of the risks there.
1: Yeah, and I guess that is why we are shareholders. So, uh, what is your rating for the stock right now?
0: Right now, so I own the stock, so it's going to be high. Uh, but with the big price appreciation the last few weeks, it's going to be a little lower. One it was uh, hindsight's twenty twenty, but when it was in below like one fifty, around you know one forty, one sixty, even down to one twenty, which has been for a while, it was really really high, like above nine. Right now, probably like. Eight six eight seven Could add shares if I have a lot of money coming in, but it's definitely something that I'm going to hold right now. Uh, and I'm still really, really bullish in the long term. But when the valuation gets up there, you do have to bring that rating down a little bit. You can't just fool yourself into still thinking this is a nine five at almost $200 a share.
1: Yeah. I'm going to go 8.5 sort of in the same area as you. This would be above a 9 for me it was above a nine for me when I was buying humble Brag, I guess between 120 and 150. Um, but there's it's hard to rate a stock that's like your second or third largest holding because you're basically just like you're not buying it necessarily, you're not adding to it, but you're definitely not selling it, you're keeping it. So um, yeah, I'll just go eight point five, obviously bullish but not currently buying shares.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I think we're on the same page there. Eight, six for me, eight, five for Ryan. That's going to do it for this episode. Thank you guys for listening. Remember we are taking the summer hiatus because of Ryan's job and my trip. So we'll probably post on that. We'll talk about that in the next few shows that we're wrapping up for the summer, but we will be back uh, just as a reminder. We'll be back in the fall. Remember to follow us on Twitter at ChitchatMoney. Email us, chitchatmoneypodcast at gmail.com. We are not financial advisors. Anything we say on this show is not formal advice or recommendation. Thank you guys for listening. We will see you next time.